Good morning again. We're going to be in Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 24. We'll, we'll get there. If you don't have your Bibles, we do have it on, on, the, screen, on the screen as well. Um, so we'll have the ushers come forward. If you have connection cards, you can pass them to the center. Actually, pass them to the outside, and um, they'll, pick those, they'll pick those up at that point. Um, so anyway, I w- want to get going. Now, as you know, it's Easter, or I think as is, uh, we would prefer to call it, I would prefer to call it Resurrection uh, Sunday. And traditionally, in this time, what we do is we talk about the historical events of the resurrection. And that is important because really that is what delineates our faith as followers of Jesus, as Christians from every other religion in the world, is that our our Savior isn't in a tomb somewhere. We can't go visit him in a museum. He is risen. Uh, He is in heaven. And and so that is that is absolutely imperative to our faith. And yet, um, something that is very closely tied to and just as important as the resurrection is the truth that Christ not just rose from the dead, but he is coming again. And we are in week 54 through the gospel of Mark. And I've been asked this week a bunch, like, are you going to do a traditional Easter message? And I'm like, well, of course I'm going to do a traditional Easter message. It just happens to fall right in line with our text here in Mark 13. And, and we're going to draw the, the parallels between the resurrection of Christ and Christ's second coming, Christ coming again. And it's important because as we've noticed in this talk through what's called the Olivet Discourse. If you haven't been through parts one through three, that's totally fine. Still will apply to you. Uh, But we notice that in the Bible, all throughout Bible, the first coming of Jesus and his resurrection, that was prophesied um, many times. But his second coming what we're going to talk about this morning, what our text deals with this morning, his second coming, for every one verse that talks about his first coming and his resurrection, there are eight verses. For every one, there are eight for talking about his second coming. So it's a very imperative and important issue as it relates to the, the coming, the coming of, of our Savior. So we're going to look at that. Let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for this morning and every single person that is here. We, we recognize that um, we all come from different places, we all come from different backgrounds, and we all have different stories. And I thank you that you know um, them all and you love perfectly. And I pray that as we're here this morning, that each one of us would have soft hearts to hear from you and that your spirit would speak to us through your word. And uh, we pray for our kids that are... Um, that are in nursery and jam and preschool and the teachers that they would they would shepherd that time well and that they would learn uh, and uh, we also pray for the kids that are in here too just that these kids would they would end up being the champions for you in future generations we love you we pray this in Jesus name amen so it was Midnight, 1844, on October 22nd. It was just outside New York, uh, a kind of a stormy evening. There was an enormous crowd, about 100,000 people, men, women, and children, and they were gathered together. And there was a buzz amongst the crowd. They were discussing 
um, some things. And, and most specifically, out of these 100,000 people, they were discussing how many of them exchanged their homes. They had given up their jobs. They had abandoned uh, their, their families in some senses. They had abandoned their farms. And they had done this because they had great expectation. They had great expectation that Jesus was going to come again. This is in October 22nd, 1844. Uh, standing at the, at the front or the top, the, the picture you see of this, this guy up in the upper right corner, the guy's, guy's name is, is um, William Miller. And most eyes in the crowd were trained upon him because he was the one that spent years studying, especially some Old Testament prophecies. And he had come up with a date in which Christ would come again, the second coming of Christ. And all of these people had believed this date and showed up for this and for the second coming um, of, of, of Christ here. Now, um, it's obvious that night came and that night went. That event um, known, it became known amongst the, they call them Millerites. This is the same, um, this is where both uh, Jehovah Witness and Seventh-day Adventists got its roots from the, the original, this original Millerite movement. But the Millerites call this now the, the, great, um, the great disappointment rather than the second coming of Christ. And, and you know, that's, that's somewhat understandable uh, because in his study of the Old Testament prophecies, one thing that he, he happened to miss in that was that Jesus said something very clearly um, in the Gospels as well as all throughout the Bible is that no one knows that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The Father is the only one that knows. So um, that's, important, that's important to note. Now, um, it's easy for, for me and for maybe for you to kind of dismiss uh, William Miller um, for for his false prophecy here, um, and and if I'm honest with myself, as I look at people today that kind of have this kookiness about the end times, um, it's easy for me to kind of look at guys like people like this. The end is near. He's kind of on the street corners. That's a picture of someone in our congregation um, in earlier years. His name's Mike Shabo. If you haven't uh, met him, so. Um, anyway, um, but but it's easy for us to look at at scenarios like this and people like this and think and think they're kooky. But but um, what's so important is that we can do that, and yet we can be in danger of losing sight of the reality that Christ is going to come again. He raised from the dead, not to just stay in heaven. He raised from the dead, and the next major event in human history is what. The Bible calls the second coming when he when he comes again, and we, we get we get to see that in our picture, and and um, we may acknowledge it cognitively in our heads, but but do we realize how it impacts our our life every day? So let's look. Jesus is addressing this. He's been in a long address. It's actually the longest response that Jesus ever gave to one single question, and we're in part four of his response here, um, and it says this. Mark 13 says, But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then he will send forth the angels and he will gather together his elect from the four winds from the furthest end of the earth to the furthest end 
of heaven. So in this text, if you're filling out notes, you'll see this. In this text, what we see, and we'll see in the, in the following text as well, is that this is talking about Jesus' second coming. And there's three ways that we kind of want to look at it. I want to look at three words that kind of describe in a bigger fashion what his second coming actually looks like. And so um, Jesus' second coming will be in person. It will be in person. And this is absolutely certain within Scripture. And when we look at the, the, the language of the New Testament, there is a word. It's called parousia. And this is the word that is used for the fact that he will be physical and he will be present on this earth. And that's important um, for many senses. Just like he was physical and he was present when he came as a humble child, he lived a humble life and he died a horrific death. Just like he was physically present then, in his second coming, he's going to come back again as a person and a person that people can see and touch. And it will be well, that gets us to our next word. I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but let's just look here. Um, he confirms this in Matthew chapter 24. We see this. It says, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of man, uh, the, the son of man. Uh, so that's the, that's the first aspect. Now, the this, this same word is used by all of the New Testament writers. Apostle Paul uses it in one of the most famous second coming passages in 1 Corinthians 15. James, the brother of Jesus, uses it when he says in the book of James, be patient, brothers, be patient, sisters, until the coming of the Lord, until the Lord's parousia. Peter speaks of the parousia three times as it relates to his teachings. And then John, in the 1 John chapter 2, he says, dear children, talking to those people as well as to us peoples, Dear children, continue in him, continue in Christ, so that when Christ appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his parousia, at his coming. So the first thing that we want to be sure about when we think and talk about the second coming of Christ is it's going to be in person, physical person. The second biblical word that is used, that the biblical authors use to describe the, the second coming of Christ is a word that if you listen to it, you might, you might recognize it. It's the word epiphania. Sounds like our word epiphany, right? Um, this, this word refers to actual events surrounding Christ's coming, events that we've already talked about in past weeks and some events that we'll see here in just a little bit. But these are actual events that are taking place. And this word is kind of summed up in our word glory. That's kind of a weird word. It's kind of a churchy word. It's a great word. But this basically means in beauty, in bigness, in, in, in glory, in, in, in perfection. That's kind of this idea of the epiphany. It's going to be a glorious, a beautiful, a perfect event in which Christ physically comes back. And we see this laid out in Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, For the Lord himself will, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Trumpet call of God. So, uh, the second thing that we understand about Christ's return is that it's going to be a device or a decisive moment in human history when that takes place. Uh, thirdly, the third word that it, it refers to here is the word truth. And, and the actual word is a word that we talk about a lot. It's in, it's in Hollywood a lot. Apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Um, the apocalypse. The end times. This is where all the kind of crazy, scary zombie stuff and movies and all that goofy stuff comes. I'm glad we're in Yakult because people don't get so into that stuff out here. But, but anyway, um, 
it's just all this weirdness that has to do with the end times. But that really, what that really word means, it actually means to, to disclose something or to make something known. Something that has been unknown will then be made known. This is, this is truth. In essence, this refers to the fact that at Jesus' second coming, it will be the fulfillment of our faith in him. He will not just come in person, physically, in this awesome, perfect, glorious event, but he's going to bring about truth. And I love this because, I, if you're like me, I cannot stand the, the political environment that we live in. I cannot stand, um, whether it's the, the, you know, the CNN fake news or the fair and balanced Fox news, and you got these battles going on back and forth, and people have these strong opinions, and, and there seems to be so little of, of Christ anywhere in that. It just seems people that just want to argue and fight and claim that they've got it all figured out and the other guys don't. And, and what I love about the fact that in, in the coming of Christ and his presence, he is going to bring about truth, like with a capital T, truth. Paul says it there, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. So for all believers, this apocalypsis, this second coming, whether it's in person, it's glorious, it is going to reveal truth. For believers, his second coming is going to be awesome. It's going to be a wonderful thing. Uh, it's going to be a life-enhancing um, But for those that don't believe, that those that reject and have mocked the name of Christ and the name of God, this day is actually going to be a scary day, a a sad day, a a day of of wrath. And and Scripture talks about this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shout out from the presence of the Lord and the majesty and the power. And this is so important because we live in a day where people today come to church and they're not so interested in in theology, truth about God. They're more interested in therapy. They just want things in their life to be better now. And they just, once things get a little bit better, then God's not so important to them anymore. They kind of just fall on God when they, they think that he might be of help to him. When Jesus says, abide with me, be my best friend, talk with me, walk with me. We're going to see a little bit more about that. So in all of this, it's, it's very important for us to understand that, that Christ's return, his second coming, carries with it great joy for those who, who have given their life, that have trusted him by faith that have received his grace. It's a great event. But for, but for those that have rejected that truth, this is going to be a very difficult day. So step back for a moment. We look at these three, we look at these three um, words, and, and what, do these, what do these mean? It's simply this, that when Christ reappears, it will be in person, it will be beautiful, it will be glorious, and it will bring and usher in truth. And that is, that is exciting and encouraging. It begs the question for every single one of you and me, for every one of us, it begs the question, are you ready for this? Are you ready for his second coming? Hopefully, we could say, absolutely, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for his second coming. Um, And it would be easy to sit back and to think, well, Christians have been waiting for his second coming for 2,000 years. What's, you know, why would I wait and, and hope for it? 
now? Well, I really guess want us to look at it a different way. The fact that we are 2,000 years from the moment when it said means we're 2,000 years closer than those early apostles were. And, and he may have not have returned in October 22nd, 1844, but he very well could return October 22nd, 2018, or he very well could return tomorrow. We just don't know that. But are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? What does Jesus say about being ready for that moment? That's where we look to the rest of our passage here. And we'll see the next line in your notes is, you know you're ready because you're, you're sold out to living a godly life. Let's make it really clear here. If you're, if you're new, not regular to church, um, we believe in the gospel of Christ Jesus, which means that Jesus atoned. When he went to the cross and died for us and his blood poured out, that blood atoned for our sins. Our, the scripture teaches us it's our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. If you trust Christ, if you believe that he is God's son, that he is the savior of the world, and he is your personal savior, if you believe that, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Amen to that. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to do that. Uh, And this is a small but, but it's an important but to that. We're still, as his children, we're called to live godly lives. And if you haven't recognized this, the world around us is pretty much not a fan of living holy, godly, moral, upright lives. And, and yet that is the life that we as Christians are called to live. Jesus says in verse 33, he says, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you don't know when that appointed time is going to come. And we certainly don't know when that time is going to come, and we hope it's going to come quickly. I would love for it to come before, before I die, um, even though it's kind of scary in some senses. I would love that. That would mean I wouldn't have to die in that way. But I would love it because, you know, the people that are going to be alive at this point in time when Christ comes, they're going to be the only people in that period of history that get to see this event. It would be cool to be back with, with Mary and Martha and the, the, the disciples, to be back when, the, when they recognized that the grave was empty and that Christ was risen. That that would have been neat. But man, this would be neat to be at this point in time too. But when he does come back, if he does come back in our time frame, would he look at us, would he look at you and say, you're living for me. You're living a, a, a godly life. You're, you're following uh, my, my commands. You're loving the people around you. You're, you're, you're loving your family. You care about the things that God cares about, and you're disgusted by the things that God's disgusted about. You stand for truth, you love truth, and yet you still walk in grace knowing that there's a world around us that does not have a a, a proper understanding of the love of God and the truth of God. Will you be living a godly life when he comes back? Look here at Titus awesome little passage. It's for by the grace of God that brings salvation, it has appeared to all men, to all women. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious 
awesome, perfect appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, people that are eager, eager to do what is good, eager to do what is good. Simply put, are we living the type of life that that is one in which we're eager to do good, where we're eager to please God? We're not eager to please a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe even eager to please a spouse above our eagerness to, to to please God. Are you living this kind of godly life, saying no to ungodliness, saying no to these worldly passions? Secondly, the second thing uh, that, that we see in this passage, and you're going to have to let me explain this just a little bit because it doesn't sound very churchy, but it, it is. It's a very, very churchy concept. Live in your sweet spot. Live in your sweet spot. Uh, we are at a time where, as Christians, it's kind of funny. We're stuck. In some senses, we, we, we look back to the events of the resurrection and days like today, and we can say, he is risen, and you can say, he's risen, he's risen indeed. We can say, but we also look forward to, to future events. But in the meantime, in the meantime, in between these two worlds, we're called not just to live godly lives, but we're also called as children of God to live within our, our sweet spot. Look at verse 34. It says, it is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. To stay on the alert. Um, As many of you know that live locally here in Yakult, you're seeing as you drive out of town that North Clark County Little League has started officially. We had our last Awana last week, and the reason we end Awana early is because so many of our kids are are part of uh, the, the Little League. And it is a fun time. This is my, my little Lolo's um, first time ever playing. And um, there's, we have a number, Kylie I mentioned earlier, and Haley and Maddie. And we have a number of other kids that are on her team, and they're called the Outlaws. I tell you, to watch a little, to watch a little um, softball team and all the girls are Outlaws, it's, it's perfect. And it's true if you see some of the things that go on. So um, anyway... Uh, but that's because they're going to be outlaws for the gospel as they grow up. That's the great thing. But but what's interesting about this is um, one of their one of their um, helpers and coaches is Nico. So if you don't know Nico, some of you are new here. That's that's Nico. They just had Theo. So we've got we've got G and Isla and Kylie and Mom, Katie and Dad, Nico. And there's Theo in the middle. Well, Nico, he's such a good-looking guy, isn't he? Yeah. Where is he sitting? <laughs> Uh, you want to stand up and say hi to everybody? <laughs> oh, man, church attendance is going to go down after this because you're afraid that I'm going to point you out. But, but anyway, I, I was watching Nico coach the girls, and, and most of them, my daughter included, have, haven't swung a bat before. So they don't know anything about playing the, the game of softball or very little. And, um, and so I played my whole life. It's by far my favorite sport, and I'm going to be on Mike's team if they don't cut me. I would like to be on that team. But, but um, I, something I'd never heard before, uh, Nico's up there, and the girls are trying to figure out the whole thing, and they're just all over the place. And Nico says, okay, this is what you need to remember. You've got to squash the bug 
and squish the bug. Is that about right? Oh, nail in your foot, and then you squish the bug. Okay, nail in the foot, and then you squish the bug. Nail in the foot, and then that's great. It's great. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting back there. I'm learning all kinds of things watching this little girl softball team. Um, great advice, and really what he's pointing to there, and the reason why, and you maybe get this if you're an athlete, um, if those girls learn to do this, they're going to learn to bat properly, and if they learn to bat properly, they're going to learn to hit the ball in the sweet spot. The sweet spot is where you want to hit the ball, whether it is um, golf or whether it is softball or baseball or anything else, you want to you get in the sweet spot. Because when you hit the sweet spot, a few things don't happen. Your hands don't vibrate and ring and sting um, if you hit it that way. Um, also, you don't have to swing nearly as hard, and you'll hit it much further. My grandma taught me golf, and I watched my grandma hit this ball straight down the center every time, and she barely even swing the club, and it was because she knew how to hit the sweet spot. And as, here's the caveat, (laughs) as it relates to followers of Jesus, so oftentimes we go about our our, our lives and our walks with Christ and we don't bat with a nail through our our foot and and squish the bug and hit the sweet spot. Instead, we just kind of go willy-nilly and we're just kind of not ever hitting the ball right. And, And the point with this is that you... Every one of you, every one of you has God-given natural ability. If you didn't know this, this is part of the Christian story. People can deny it, but every person is made in the image of God. And every person is gifted with something. Some of you have lots and lots of gifts. Those of you who have those lots and lots of gifts make me jealous. But most of us just have, you know, a few natural tendencies. And when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, when you do this, when you commit your life to Christ, God supernaturally gives you a gift, and he calls you to use it. He calls you to walk in it, uh, to serve. One of the reasons why um, this is a good place to be is because so many of you do just that. But this is for all of us. We have a lot of visitors that are in from out of town. This just applies to you as well. Are you walking in your sweet spot? Do you know, first off, what, what God has gifted you with, and are you walking in that gift. And, and it's important to note, I think I always try to mention this when it, when it relates to sweet spots, is that sweet spots never expire. Meaning your, your giftings as followers of Jesus never expire, regardless of your failures, and I have great ones, regardless of your age, your sweet spots, your gifts, your special gifts is oftentimes, your spiritual gifts, they never expire. Um, but they do get smaller. They, they do get stiff if they don't get exercised. If you're not part of our exercise class that Chris and Diane Kroll lead, um, they remind us that. He says, if you're old like me, you need to stretch extra if you're going to do these exercises. And it's very true. The older you get, the more you need to exercise so that they don't shrink and get atrophied and those kinds of things. Living in your sweet spot. So where are you at? This is a great verse, 1 Peter 4.10. As each... One of you has received a special gift, a sweet spot. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Wow, how great that is. That, that, that what y'alls have, you see, oftentimes we elevate musicians and elevate people that stand up here and, and talk as, as the extra special gifts or people that speak in tongues. No, no, no. Every one of us needs one another to operate as, as a people of God and as a church. What is your sweet spot? And how are you operating in them? And I would say, if you try to do too much, 
That's the worst thing for my golf swing. When I start thinking about too many things, I can't hit the ball. It's the same thing, especially in a church this size. One of the best things you can learn to say is no. Find what your sweet spot is. And if I call and ask you, and you've got too many things in your plate, you need to say no to me because you're already focusing in your sweet spot. So that's another key aspect to, to this. So what's your sweet spot? Are you living in that? When Christ comes back, is he going to find you utilizing your sweet spot for, his, for him and for his goodness and his ways? The third, the third and final, the third and final um, application here we see in, in verses 35 through 37. And that's this, living in expectation, living in expectation of his coming. Therefore, in these last four verses, the word alert, depending um, on alert or awake, is used five times in four verses. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, this is Jesus' final words here in the Olivet Discourse. What I say to you, I say to all, be on alert. Be on alert. What he says to them, what he says to us is be on alert. And if that could be translated, that would say be on alert. Yes, amen. Be on alert. Christianity is not a passive philosophy. It's not something to be disengaged in. It is an active commitment to carry on the work of Christ. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's an active walk. That's what the gospel is all about. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth around us. It is an active expectation. And, and how important that is for us to be actively actively looking, expecting the second coming of Christ and how that might change the way that we live. That, that might be the, the motivation. I mean, anytime we set a goal, if it's a worthy goal, we focus on it, right? If it's a worthy goal, we focus on it. We, we work out. We do the things that we need to do in order to accomplish that goal. And, and as we look at this, what could be more of a, 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 a loyal, genuine, truth-worthy goal as living your life for God, living a godly life, living with expectation, living in your sweet spot. I don't know where you're at today um, in this place. We have all kinds, of, all kinds of people here that I don't know. I wish and hope to get a chance to, to know you, um, but you probably should get to know the people around you. They're much, much cooler. Point, though. Amen. You can't say amen to that. Um, so... But, but the point here is I don't know where you're at. If you're here today and you've never received Christ Jesus as your Savior, we said earlier, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I just challenge you to make, make that decision today, to commit your life to him. And, and you've got the steps right here. Once you commit your life to him, you, you, you desire, you seek with his help to live a godly life. You find out what your, your spiritual gift is and you learn to, to operate in it. And then you wait expectantly. There is a day, and that day is going to come, when he will come again. And man, how awesome that day will be. How awesome that day will be. And I hope that every single one of us is ready for that day. I'd like to have the worship team come up. We're going to close with a song. And uh, I just 
I pray that uh, the rest of your day is good. I pray that these, these things, these truths would be on your heart and on your mind. And um, for those of you who are regulars here, we're going to go into chapter 14 next week. We're stepping out of the Olivet Discourse, and uh, you might want to read ahead to prepare yourself for that.